You just turned that cliff upside down. You got a wall. One that I'm hoping we can talk about is kind of like a podcast meeting. And that was kind of the suggestion for a series topic, a topic that becomes a series, at least for however long. Yep. Um, so that was suggested. And then we have a review, uh, which, which, is, which, is, um, which is an option. A private review? Well, it's not so much a private review. Um, so <laughs> this person... Well, we uh, don't have to dig into that okay. at this point, but I, I know what you're talking about. Okay. okay. Well, um, so let's start with, uh, well, first of all, how you doing, John? I'm good. You're feeling good today because you had some carbs. You're feeling good. I did. I've kind of been <laughs> restricting carbs for a while. Oh. Last night I had carbs and today at lunch I had carbs and I'm just, I, I'm, I feel good. Isn't it sad that carbs make us feel good? They also make you fat. Oh boy, they make you feel good. My brain's working. I feel like I can make sense. Well, something's... No matter how many carbs I have, still don't make sense. But uh, we can get into that kind of stuff. Well, let's uh, let's start with a, a beverage. Oh, more carbs. Got a couple. Yeah, <laughs> got a couple here. This one is from New Glarus, and they're up in. Uh, I want to get this wrong. Are they Wisconsin? They are in Wisconsin. Okay, and this might have. I'm not sure actually. This might have been one that Steve and Noe brought. He was the one that brought the. Didn't he bring the the Wisconsin beers? I don't know. He was there before I got there, so I don't I don't remember who brought what. Either he brought this, or I got this as an extra in a trade. But anyway, it's Moon Man. It's there. It's uh, some kind of pale ale. <clears throat> Have your glass. And you're a horrible bartender. I got water spots on my glass. Well, at least it's clean, and you know why it's clean? Why? Because I clean our glasses after we record. <laughs> You think that would be something I would do, but I just leave it for you. I've, you know, you know I've, last, I've been noticing that the last few times you've like cleaned. we're married because <laughs> you you got the duster and dusted everything, and you had to shampoo the rugs. Well, that was because you spewed beer everywhere. Take the rest of that. <clears throat> yeah, some of those beers we didn't get to at the at our bottle share. The, well, there's a lot, and then the we good had, days are bottle shifts. And I actually brought some. I brought those home with me, so I've been enjoying this. <laughs> I don't think that's the way it was supposed to work. But you know why there was so much left over? Because I wasn't drinking any of it. That's part of it. I had to. It's, you I, were being I antisocial. In, I was forced into drinking one or two. I was trying to get my voice to recover. I had no voice. <sighs> this is pretty good. I needed like a palate cleanser because I just drank coffee right before taking that sip. Oh. <clears throat> Because I don't know what I'm tasting. All right. If I'm tasting coffee or the beer. Well, so I know we have the one, the one big follow-up item, which is that test setup. Yeah, we got thing. a follow-up on test setup. Um, do we have other things or is that it? Oh, we have other topics, but <clears throat> no, let's start uh, with that. I mean, let's always start with okay. follow-up and what we got right, what we got wrong. I think I got it wrong. Okay. So what did, let's, let's back up and explain what it is that we were talking about and what, what you think you got wrong. So we were talking about the new, well, it's not new, it's fairly new, fairly new t uh, annotation in Salesforce called uh, test setup. So it'd be at test setup. And my understanding, my new understanding of this is that uh, you, you, you create a method and you annotate it with at test setup. And what that allows the system to do is when it sees that, it'll execute that function once um, for that class. Meaning if you have a class that's got 10 unit tests, that setup method will run once and the data that was created during that setup will be accessible to all your test methods. Uh, so the debate we had last week was 
that's good. But now every time one of your test methods runs and modifies some of that data, that could impact your other data or your other test methods. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's where we left it. And then uh, some and we very said, and we said that would not that would not be good to use that if that's well we considered it brutal because I think there were some cases where you know that concept is is beneficial, especially if you're creating a lot of data or trying to do bulk testing and all that kind of stuff where a lot of data is getting created. And by having that data created once, especially if it's data you don't care about, it's just data that needs to exist so that you can attach other data to it or test against data that's somehow dependent on it. Um, then it's much more performant. Yeah. Okay. And I said I just thought it, I thought it was a bad idea because uh, if you're setting up if it's running once because that's what it says actually uh, let me let me pull up the documentation for this okay here here's what it says methods defined with test setup annotation are used for creating common test records that are available for all test methods in the class. Um, if the test contain if the test class contains a test setup method the testing framework executes the test setup method first before any test method in the class. Records that are created in a test method are available to all test methods in the test class and are rolled back at the end of the test execution. So if a test method changes those records, such as field updates or deletions, those changes are rolled back after each test method uh, finishes execution. <clears throat> so that actually, that, that then... Um, alleviates the problem that I was talking about, which is, hey, you know, you're going to have a, one of your tests that modifies those records, and then the rest of the, your tests are going to be screwed. But, right. But it rolls and changes a test to make specs. So, so, so that actually, if that's the case, then uh, that alleviates one of my big problems with, with that. What were my other rejections? Do you even remember? Well, that was the main one. I mean, that's that's what that's what forced us to call it a brittle That was the main solution. one. And, I, and, you know, and at this point, I was just like, well, I mean, I know that the you know, the 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 way that I do it, which is using a static initializer, does not suffer that problem. So I'll just keep you know using my old school ways. <clears throat> right. So it turns out because we had a, we got a lot of feedback. So and I'm just gonna start quoting people. So Andy Mahood jumped in and he's like, "Oh man, this conversation made me want to jump into Slack and correct these guys. Sometimes I wish I could just shout out and correct them. I know we we hear that a lot." <laughs> <laughs> Um, he says, test, test setup is a massive performance improvement. It sets up data once in terms of DML and SOQL, but then reloads in a clean state for each test. Uh, it's a, probably a big reason why Jeremy Ross complains about test run duration. Uh, then he quotes some, some blog post or something that says, if, if a test method, method changes those records, such okay, he, that's what we just talked about. Uh, and Peter Chittum said, even from the very simple standpoint of testing, update, or delete triggers, this would be time-saving both in execution and the code required to make those tests work. Uh, and then uh, Dr. Nick says, uh, he probably still wouldn't use it because unit tests uh, requiring a the same data set for the whole class um, is is basically problematic for him. So in his situation, he's got a test class, a bunch of different test uh, tests in it, mm -hmm. but each one of those tests in it may need a different test fixture. Right. <clears throat> I will say that normally that's considered uh, to have to have uh, multiple tests in the same test class that require different fixtures is kind of an, an anti-pattern. But on the Salesforce platform where you have one global namespace and you have no packages or namespaces or whatever, um, you are forced to put a lot more methods into a class than you normally otherwise would. So... 
you yeah, because otherwise you could end up with <clears throat> 10 classes just to test something. Exactly. There's, there's no organizational hierarchy or anything that you can rely on to to make sense of it all. Yeah, and your your teammates will probably start throwing rotten tomatoes at you or something if you do that. Yeah, because wouldn't it be nice to have like a little, little namespace folder that says tests for your particular you know module of functionality that you built and it, the class names match what you're testing? Well, um, DX does that a little bit. Uh, DX does some things to make it look like there's some s- sanity. <clears throat> so so some kind like, of hierarchy so structure that you can you can yeah attach. You, can, you can basically because again in all other forms of platforms and software engineering before Salesforce came along, your test your all your test code was is in a separate root source root from your from your production code. Right. And, you know, yes, yeah, so you fully test your system, but you don't ship your test code with your production system. I mean, it's too late. Once it's, once you've, you know, created your build and you've pushed it into, into production, there's no, there's no point in testing. It's, it should have been tested before it even gets there. You don't run tests in production. <clears throat> well, let's and not then, get uh, too far into that conversation because I think I, there, is, there is a topic that I do want to talk about that kind of gets into that a little bit. Okay. But, so let's well, get back to and there's top a, the stack. There's one more person that chimed in that I wanted to, uh, Get here, which is Michael Smith. He said, the way this was described to me at some point was the test setup creates all the data that your test method in the test class will need. And imagine at the end of each method, a rollback occurs um, to ha- make it look like how it looked after test setup method uh, completed. Um, and that's actually an important distinction because um, <clears throat> it, when I went through to just kind of test the scenarios out, you know, just to confirm, I created a class and I had it. I created an account on it, and then I had a bunch of, like, I think four or five test methods that went through and modified that. One thing I did notice is the ID never changed. The ID stayed the same. Yeah. Oh, using test setup? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, he says, you know, you don't have to recreate the test, uh, you don't have to recreate the data in each method and the overhead, including CPU and other, other limits needed to create that. Um, it only happens once. <clears throat> All right, so... What did what did you learn out of this, John? Did you do any testing, or or is it just did people just make you realize that? You're no, wrong? I did some testing. I, I went out and I like I said, I created that that class. I did some testing on the different scenarios. Um, well, let me go ahead and let me play our, the little theme that you queued up for this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, oh that's the wrong one. <laughs> is it? Or is it a commercial? I bet it started with a commercial because you didn't clip it. You just you went yeah, live with yeah. it. Okay, hang on. Here just we go. You know, th- this like, so- this song was playing on my way to the office today. And I was like, you know what? I know this is a song about a relationship, but it kind of describes Jeremy so much. Like, <laughs> at one part he goes, I'm sitting here looking at you. You're sitting here looking at me. It's <laughs> it's, it's all the same. That's all. And I'm like, oh my God, this is me and Jeremy. <laughs> so I think I was wrong in, in just in that. Um, I, I was, what I think what I said was, if, if test setup, if it's only creating the data once and you're using that same copy and it's and changes from one uh, th- that a test makes to it persist across to the other test, then that's a problem. Well, it doesn't do that, so so that's not a problem. Yeah, and I, I, not only did I do a test, I actually uh, don't want to use the word actually. I did go sorry, ahead sorry, and use it you. in production code, meaning I created I, I just happened to be working on something that was kind of a quick and easy trigger set, or trigger logic, and so I went ahead and used that test setup for that. And um, it was a perfect use case for it because my scenario that I brought up last time of where this could be beneficial is I had to deal with um, opportunity products. 
Uh, I only ended up with two test methods, but I could at least set up the account, the contact, the opportunity, the product, the price book, and the line items all in that test set, uh, the test setup. And then um, everything else I needed to test was attached to that, but required information from all of those sources. Uh, so I was able to set it up once. Uh, I queried for the information I needed, um, which wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I did, what I did to be, able, to be able to query the stuff back is I named everything something very specific, and then I those names were constants. Or for things where I needed to know what that was in the test, I made them constants, so I'm not hard-coding and trying to query based on hard-coded values. So I had constants for things like the name or some kind of type or status that I needed to somehow bring that back, that information back. Right. Uh, yeah, that I, just saves you from your magic strings having to match up, right? Yeah, and I could have I could have probably created some static reference to that from my test setup, but I thought, you know what, that's not right because even though it's getting created, there could have been other things that modified that account, and so requeryring it is actually better because then I have the information as it exists and after everything else is run. So if there's some kind of trigger already attached to it or something else that modifies and sets some of that information, I don't want to lose out on that in my testing. Or uh, even more importantly, if someone writes new code that changes something that I'm expecting, if I don't requery that information, I'm not going to know that. So my tests are going to think everything's fine. Everything's perfect. Yeah. So I, I, I don't mind the querying. It didn't seem to affect performance. I didn't now, notice. Well, now, so why, do you, why are you having to query? Well, because everything's in the test setup, so I don't have access to where that... Normally, I would put that setup uh, stuff inside my test method. Yeah. Um, on rare occasions, like I said, depending on how much setup I'm having to do and how redundant it is, I'll put that in a static method of its own and call that. Uh, and I'll return um, some kind of data structure that has references to all that information. Yeah. However, because this is test setup and it's an annotation and I believe it requires static void... Um, I, I couldn't return anything. No, but you can have a s- static fields on the class because I could, and that that was what I was thinking when I was thinking through this. I was like, you know what? I really shouldn't be doing this. Even my practice of creating a test me- setup method that returns a data structure that has references and everything, <coughs> and as long as if it's the reference to the ID, I think that's okay. But I, I really think I should be in the practice of bringing that data back because once you insert it, there are other things that could impact and modify that data. And so I want to make sure that I, I get it in its in its current state, not the state th- that fresh, it was when I decided to create it. You mean like a, a fresh copy from the database? Yeah, because I mean, it, it's really easy to be lazy and say, okay, here's my account, here's the name, insert. And all that's in memory right now is the, the ID and the name. Well, what, what I suggest doing is, is actually what I do with static initializer blocks, which is inside your test method, which is a static method, so mm-hmm. it has visibility to static fields. So create static fields on the class. Like say you say you've in your test setup, you need to create an account. Okay. Okay. Or you create a static field uh, for the account on the, on the class, and in the test in the test setup method, you create the account, and then you set that static uh, static field uh, to to that account you just created. Right. That's what I do with my static initializer box works right. Turns out in test setup, you can do that. You can assign a static field. Uh, you can assign values to them. Like, so if you create an account, you can assign it to that static field. But when in your test methods actually run, mm-hmm. those, all those values are null. Like, it's like you did nothing. Right. Which is very weird. Yeah. Which is, again, goes back to, I wish Salesforce documented stuff better. I mean, it, they just, like, the, be, the behavior of test setup actually matters. They have, like, a one-paragraph thing, and it doesn't even, as far as I can tell, it doesn't mention that. Um... 
So that that's kind of a bummer. So so maybe test setup is faster in some ways, but now on all of my test methods, I'm having to query this this whole test fixture when if you use the static initializer block the way I've always done it, it I've already it's I don't have to query it again because I've already created all these things in their their um their uh, stored and static fields on the class. Right. And all the test methods can access those that account, the whatever opportunity, whatever it may be, right there from static fields on the class. <clears throat> yes, I'm curious if you if it, let's say you, you you use your test setup method, and I really should have tested this out just to, but it, it only occurred to me now to think of this. If you say create an account in your test setup, and then you go ahead and re, and requery that, so you get all the information you need and any changes that any back background processes would have would have done mm -hmm. and you assign that to a static uh, variable on your class what happens that's the state it's in and all your other tests are looking at that and it's, it that will should, be null it's null when your tests run it should, it's null yep okay yeah, that's what I'm talking about so that's one where I'm going to have to say static wins that one so that's a plus one for static <clears throat> uh, but I should back up the first thing I learned when I because <clears throat> I thought well I'm going to I'll do some uh, some actual tests here and measure some speeds and things uh, turns out the new like new developer orgs are fast as hell, man. I mean, really? they oh my gosh, a fresh org is just uh, like an order of magnitude faster than all the other orgs I work in. Then, so have. you're talking about uh, refreshing from an existing? No, no, I just created a new developer org. Oh, really? <clears throat> yeah. It, could that have to do with the, it's on summer? Have it's not on summer. It's not on some, Oh, yeah, new ones created aren't yet. Yeah, yeah. They have to exist it, and then they would have... Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd love to think that summer has massive performance improvements, but... Which I think it does. I, I've I've noticed, and other people have started noticing with summer in the sandboxes that... Yeah, but you're on a different instance. That's not the pod your, your production org is going to be on. So, and everything is pod-specific. Performance is very much pod-specific. I know, but even even previous versions that, are, that came out early and were in the sandbox, and I was evaluating, and even in my own developer org, it was noticeably slow. It was very slow. Um, I really hope it's fast because okay. here's why. I hate the new icon, the stupid seagulls with the sunglasses. Oh, the the um, and and to me, it. I don't even think it to me because of the color choices. Are you talking about the the lightning loading animation? Yes, okay. the the summer. Well, that's that's the summer icon. So that that's the icon. So that ends up becoming the loading animation or whatever. But because of the colors they chose, it looks blurry to me for one. So the colors kind of run together, and from a just glancing view, they look blurry, like they're not clean, pristine images. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I just hate the, I just don't like the, I don't like the birds. Okay. Um, so here's a tie. Uh, the, the DML, uh, this is interesting. Because this is one thing where, where some people were wrong. Uh, the DML that gets, that you run in, in your, if you use the t at test setup annotation, mm -hmm. that gets counted like, in your limits. That your tests can can uh, are, are right. Well, you're still and, bound by the same rules, meaning it, the counter doesn't get reset unless you call start test. Well, there were people that thought that it it does get like so. Like for example, what you do in test setup mm -hmm. is its own context, and then when your when your tests actually run, they're in a fresh context that is that what happened in test setup doesn't count against them. But not only does it, but it again, if you believe that test setup only runs once, what's weird is all the DML, and even SOC, I tried SOCL too. Any DML in SOCL that you do in test setup, it, it gets counted against each of your test methods. So I had like, I had 10 test methods, and it counted against every single one of them. Hmm. Which is weird. Why would it, why would this, those SOCL queries count against every single one of my tests if that test setup only runs once? 
That's interesting. It is. I never tested. However, I did test the fact that it does only run once. I had a a debug statement that would run every time test setup was called, and it only showed up once at the top. Something else I learned. Um, I I can't get any logging statements in the test setup method to show up anywhere. I did. Okay, I couldn't. I cannot. I can show you right now. I cannot get any to come out. We're using your fancy logger, or we're using just system dot debug. System dot debug and and you know error level. I just can't. Can't get in to show up. So, and so that's why I'm, I'm not able to... I mean, I can't, I guess, prove for sure that the test setup is running every time. But in terms of profiling, like the queries that I was doing, mm-hmm. SQL queries I was doing in the test setup were counting against, getting counted against every single test method. That's odd, because I was able to get logging to work just fine. I had no issues. I logged, I, I logged I would, I would you know, objects that. that I created. I logged, uh, I logged some just dummy text. And that were... In the t- you were able to log in test setup, yeah, yeah, because I couldn't I couldn't get it at all, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, uh, again, any any DML or SQL you do gets counted against every single test, even though it's supposed it only runs once. Okay, whatever. So that's that's kind of a tie because you have the same problem in static. I mean, because with static, that static static initializer block runs before every test, and and, and we right. know we know it does. The logging statements show up; they get counted against it, right? I mean, everything. Um, well, either way, I mean, you shouldn't rely on that. You still should still be relying on test.startTest to ensure that you're focusing your testing, at least in terms of limits. Yeah, but... Because even, here, even with a method... Except you, here, here's the problem. Even I, I, Yes, I agree with you. You should do that. But I've got scenarios where getting the test harness set up, getting the accounts, the, the contracts, the opportunities, it, and I could worth a really complex test, getting all those set up, I'll hit limits before I even call, before I'm even actually ready to to exercise the system under test before yeah. I even get to my start test, I'm hitting limits. That's why I thought, well, maybe you know, test setup could be something that helps with that, but it actually doesn't. I wouldn't, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't see it doing that because I don't think it changed the rules. It doesn't say if you use if you do things in test setup, your limits are higher or it ignores limits. Um, and I also wrote down the idea that DML only runs once. Um, well, oh, sorry, the, the idea that DML only runs once the transaction gets rolled back after. Each test does not seem to be true. What am I saying here? I think I'm saying, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe that DML is only running once, but it, you're getting you're getting penalized for it on every single test. So it's just hard to say. I want to put that one to the test because yeah, that just doesn't well, seem yeah, like something I, that I, should have hurt. I said I I I tried it, but maybe I'm doing something wrong. Um, In fact, if anything, I think I think all, I mean, ideally, all the limit, none of the none of. Ugh. None of the things that are within test setup should count. I mean, it should be kind of like its own yeah. test start. Yeah, type. That's scenario. what I was hoping for. I wonder if no, you, I, uh, I wonder if I could do test start inside the test setup. That's that's one to try. That yeah, that's true. <laughs> test start, test stop, and then it'll run your other methods yeah. and see if that helps. I'm I'm assuming that well that will throw an exception if you if you try start test. Um, okay, so I already mentioned that references created during test setup will. Uh, end up null in your test. So if you create, or if, if or also, I also tested this, in tests, in, a, in the test setup method, mm-hmm. if you modify this, a static variable of like another class, like now let's say you have a, um, some some people have like counters so that a trigger doesn't run more than a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. like these statics. When you set those in test setup, uh, those also get wiped away once your, before your test method actually runs. So you can't set statics, which uh, is kind of a bummer. <clears throat> Well, you can. It's just they silently uh, aren't there when your tests run. 
So you're saying that if so if I have a class and it's got a counter so that maybe maybe I'm trying to restrict how many times something runs. Yeah. Um it runs in one of my test methods. It, it you you're going to let's say you set that counter in test setup. Okay. To something like like it's already, you know, how many times it's already run and you set it to like 3. Oh yeah. When your, I, test, when your test actually runs it, it's going to be back at zero or whatever its default value is. Oh, okay. No, yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I I always do that kind of setup in my test method. And so <laughs> see that sucks. That's also an anti-pattern because you're you're doing all kinds of this duplicating uh, duplicative, you know, code that should be abstracted into some kind of test method somewhere. Well, I mean, right. you could you could create your your like a super hybrid here. You can do test setup for common data setup, and you can do your static so initializer th- for things like that. I think that's where I might might land. Um, and and we'll, we'll get to some more conclusions here, and maybe, maybe we can come up with some 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 best practices out of this. Oh, you used your favorite um, word. But no, like if you have to call, if you have to manually call a a, a, a test setup method mm-hmm. in each of your tests, the problem is because I've I've done that before. The problem is sometimes you'll create a new test method and you'll forget to call setup and you're like, damn it, why isn't my test not working? You keep running over and over and you're looking at your, you're adding logging statements and everything. Then, you know, <laughs> the next day you finally show someone. And of course, as you're showing them, because this is all the way, this is the way this always works. It's called rubber ducking, or I guess, you know, yeah. you should rubber duck it. As you're showing them, you immediately realize, oh crap, I'm not calling my test setup method, right? So that's why you should have a test setup method. You should have a test setup method, but it's one, it should be one that's auto run either by the framework or by the fact that it's a, stat, a static block or something. Yeah. Well, uh, well, here, I want a tangent, but okay. I don't, I don't want well, to derail you. Well, make a note, then we'll come back to it. All right. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I couldn't get, I couldn't get to seem to get any kind of logging out, but um, so maybe, I don't know, have you look at my code and you can tell me if I'm doing something wrong. Uh, let's see. Appears that only database operations are persistent. All other operations related to memory, state, statics, et cetera, do not carry over to tests. Um, so I think we kind of talked about that just now. Same thing. And I also want to say that Chris Peterson pointed that out. He said, um, it's it's the only way to get a totally separate apex context in a test class. Uh, static variables and other state from test setup are th- is thrown away, and it's not there for test method runs. So, so if so, it sounds like what you think might be a con in certain scenarios, it could be a positive because you want pristine state. I I don't want uh, you want a pristine state for each test. The problem is you can't even set this. You can't even set state. Well, you can if you use a static initializer. Exactly. No, that's right. Yeah. You'd have to. You still have to. You use a static initializer? I guess it's not necessarily all con. the tools. You got to use the hammers and the nails and yeah. the wrenches and everything to make something good. Yeah. Can't just make everything with a hammer. Right. Um, here's so so performance wise. Um, it, on a really simple test that I think I had, I created maybe like an account in a contact. Uh, the test setup was about ten milliseconds faster. Um, of course, this doesn't that doesn't account for this is in my fresh org doesn't account for the like, extreme slowness you get in mature orgs. Uh, when I also said using test setups uh, simply to optimize for speed uh, is missing the forest for the trees. Though. So if I have to make my tests more complicated, or if I'm spreading my test logic across different places that run in different contexts, and it's just confusing and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, however, after I wrote that, I then went and took my. I had two different test classes, one that used test setup and one that used a static initializer. And I think I had, I think I had um, one or two test methods in each of those. I then uh, duplicated all those to, to the point that I had 10 different test methods. Okay. And once I got to that point, the static initializer test uh, class and, and its 10 methods took uh, like 14 seconds to run, which by the way, 
14 seconds for 10 tests that all they do is create an account and contact is extremely slow. Salesforce, yeah. fix this, please. This is a problem. Um, this, the test setup method was way faster. It was like, it, I think from beginning to end was like three or four seconds, which is still really slow, actually. But yeah. it was it was quite a bit faster. I mean... Yeah, I'd wanted to do some kind of benchmarking like that. But one thing I just did notice was that even with it, there was still, you know, a good second of just waiting for it to load up before it started actually running tests. Or I'm sorry, producing the results of the test. Yeah. So you have a good second, two seconds... Um, yeah, so it's weird for for the static tests or for the yeah for the test use a static block. It took like you know how, you know how sometimes in the logs you'll see like entering system mode, leaving mm-hmm. system mode. I'm still not 100 percent sure what that means because sometimes it'll also say false, sometimes it'll say true. I've heard people say like if it says entering entering system mode false, that means that it actually didn't enter system mode. Well, what the hell? Why was that logging statement even there? I don't. But anyway, it was that was taking like a uh, for my. For my class test class that had the static initializer, that was taking anywhere from like 150 to 1500 milliseconds to run, and that wasn't even in my test that had test setup. There was no entering. There was no inner system mode. So that's ta- you're talking about another a, a, on average one second per test. Well, if I have ten tests, which that did, that's ten seconds right there. Well, there there's could be your difference right there. So uh, what the hell is that? I have no idea because. It wasn't part of the DML. It was separate from where the DML was happening. So, you know, who knows what that is? Hmm. And, and the, the bottom line is, like, I don't know why that test setup is faster. It's not. It doesn't seem to be around uh, the DML itself. And it doesn't seem to be between tests when you think it would be, like, for example, after your, when it, you know, your code execution is completed, right, yeah. for a test, you would think, okay, at that point, it would be rolling things back. That may take a little bit of time. That, didn't, that did not seem to be where the time was. Like the time, most of that, most of the time difference between the two different styles was in this entering system mode. Hmm. I just, yeah. But I will say, regardless, in 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 a lot of cases, it looks like test setup is going to be much faster. Like in some cases, probably close to an order of magnitude, depending on what you're doing. So I'm actually going to. I think I think what I'm going to do is is start moving some things, at least the DML portion of my setup into test setup, and of course I'll have to keep my static initializer block for. Other things, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's unfortunate that you kind of have to use both of those, but it, the benefit is enough. I mean, if I can take a two-hour deployment down to forty-five minutes or an hour, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's still too long, but I mean, the thing is, you know, with a big, I don't know, with a really big system. I mean, if you if you've got a system that's um, you know a project where you've got, I don't know. 100,000 lines of code and you've got a lot of database stuff. I mean, database tests are always pretty slow. That's why That's why with true unit tests, you're not touching the database. You know, because the unit tests you're, are supposed to be fast and you should be able to run your whole, you know, unit test regression suite within, ideally, really fast. You know, right. Anywhere from a few, you know, milliseconds to, you know, maybe 10 seconds for all your unit tests. Yeah, because ideally you have it running in the background. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think there's, a, I mean, there's really no ability in Salesforce to just run unit tests because even if you're not going to touch the database, Salesforce is still going to start a transaction. It's still reaching out to the database. It's still communicating with the database the whole time. Starting transactions, rolling back transactions, even if you don't do anything in those transactions, it's assuming you will and it's doing all that stuff. So you've got just all that overhead for even if you are trying to stick to just, or at least have your unit tests separate from your integration tests. 
Oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> no way. <laughs> There's the fire alarm. Fire reported. All right. Well, we will pause, I guess. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Well, so we're back. Got a nice little fire drill there. Yeah. And we walked m- more flats of stairs than I, than I cared to. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I think I only had one other thing on this whole test thing, which was that also on tests that have a, that use the static initializer, um, there was like an additional at least 100 milliseconds between each test. So from the time that one test finished, the mm-hmm. next one started, there was a lot more time even there. So I don't know. It's hard to say. Whatever's going on, I don't think it's necessarily what... I think there's way more to it than what is, uh, the documentation leads on to. Um, there's definitely some things that are faster and tested up though, but yeah. the, the details of it, I just think we don't know what's going on. But just be careful because you really only want to use that so here's the problem. Like if, if I use that to, in, in my hybrid way, like I was describing, like, okay, mm-hmm. I'll use test setup to actually set up anything with the database. And then I'll create a static initializer to do all my other stuff, you know, mm-hmm. basically set statics and all kinds of stuff. Um, am I going to, is it, if I, if I still have to use the static initializer block, even though it's not for data, is it, is it, is it, is it, so, is it going to be slower while I still get the benefits of the test setup? That I don't know, I'll just have to, I'll have to play with it and see. I would think you'd still get the benefits. At least that was that would be my assumption. Yeah, I mean, if we do, then that's that'll that's that'll be pretty big for me, actually. So I'm glad we got into this topic. Yeah, and I'm I'm already going to start trying to use it as much as I can and and learn some lessons from it. And but I I think it's a combination of everything. I, it's not like this one thing that changes everything. It's it's a it's a new feature that you can use to kind of offload. It's like three years old, work. so it's not exactly new, right? Well, I don't I don't mean new. I I just mean it's not this thing that takes over it's not like a mocking system it's not like this entire thing where you can go and mock everything and you run your tests and everything it's going to it's going to be something you're going to use in combination with what you're already doing you know you're still going to create your test setup you're still going to need to use start and stop test there's still going to be some amount of setup in your test method for the things that are very specific to that logic that you're trying to test but for things that are kind of global and common you know that's that's where you should put it and to Jeremy's point if you need something to set something static that's going to apply to everything then your static initializer. Yep. Cool. <sighs> that felt like it took a long time. Well, it's just, you know, <laughs> I'm exhausted from that. Or that might have been the stairs. Well, yeah. but <laughs> it's, it's just inherently, I don't know, technical. It takes a well, while. Well, I was going to tangent off that, but I'm deciding not to because I want to get to some of these other things. And I know we're kind of pressed for time today. And I, we okay. weren't planning on a fire drill. I also, do you remember this Visual Force kind of bug fiasco that I had you help me with last week? With like, I'm, oh, with I'm the action set, support. Yeah, I was, no, I was, I was doing an action, action function. function. Yeah, and I had an action function with a that had nested, you know, like a per what are they? Per well, had, yeah, had, had apex param elements so that you could pass information to your. And those params controller. were not being set on the controller, and we, you and I, both could not figure out why. Yeah, and we messed with the file, and, and randomly, we just kind of you. Were, I think you even said, "Well, add a add a re-render to the right. action function." I did, and then they would get set, which is weird. Well, it's just obviously it's a, one of the one of those bugs. It does does the does the bug still exist where if you have a param that doesn't have a value for name, even though that name's not used anywhere, does that still is I that still so. a bug? I think so. And then there was the other there's the other. Uh, it's hard to tell sometimes with things like that because 
once you find that bug and you get a workaround, you just always do that workaround. And so you never stop to go, right. do I still need to do that workaround? Yeah. Well, because it's probably not fixed, so just keep doing it. <laughs> but no, there was the other one where I had, what was it? Um, it was inside a repeat, so I'm not sure if that had anything to do with it or not, but then I had you know, an anchor tag, the A, the A element in HTML, right? Mm-hmm. And then it contained like um, a div and some stuff in that, right? The, right. Whole, the whole div was a big anchor clickable. And when Salesforce, on the initial render, mind you, everything was fine. Right. I have my A tag, and then within it is all the stuff that's supposed to be within this A tag. Um, when a re-render happened, and I re-rendered the panel that contained this repeat, it, it VisualForce completely craps itself and does not render it right. Like, all the contents of the A tag were rendered outside in like a sibling of the A tag. Right. <laughs> it's like it like it couldn't like it didn't recognize the anchor tag as being like a top level container. Yeah, it, it it's probably, you know, so visual force is is XML, actually, unfortunately. And it's way more picky about stuff than than HTML really is. And technically speaking, I mean so an an anchor tag is is by default an inline element. Mm-hmm. And I'm putting block level stuff inside it. And which is actually fine. I mean, because you can redefine, because with like CSS, you can redefine uh, an inline thing as a block thing or whatever. You know, it's kind of fluid. Mm-hmm. But I think Visual Force just can't handle that. It's like, no, you're not supposed to have stuff in an anchor tag. <laughs> Despite the fact that we use that everywhere. <laughs> I've, I've run across that bug before, but it's been long enough that it took <clears throat> me a little while to, it, it, to, to, for it to dawn on me that, oh, because I, I, I saw that and I thought, I wonder if it's having a problem with this anchor tag and its contents and surely... Sure enough, it was. Um, I have another weird Visual Force thing. How do you handle this? So let's say that you have a, a Visual Force page that's like a long-running page. So it's a page that users go to, and then they, they stay on that page, and they're interacting with it, and there's a lot of just, um, you know, either action functions or some mm-hmm. kind of just, you know, on-the-page server calls or whatever. When you, when you deploy, um, let's say you deploy... A change to, you know, that the maybe the controller class or some class involved, or even the Visual Force page. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens then is that any users that are on that page, it'll just stop working for them. And particularly, like if you do have an action function type of thing, or you're or you're yeah. calling like uh, some API on the server, you know, they're not gonna, they won't even get. I don't even think they get a, they don't get a different page because you're, they weren't loading loading a new page or anything. So how do right. you handle that, especially in situations where let's say you're one of the really progressive companies that's deploying to production all the time, right? How do you how do you even how do you deploy to production without killing all your user sessions? And let's say this is you know you've got an important site here that have at any given time hundreds or thousands of users on it. I mean, every time you deploy, you're just you're totally screwing up their session, and they're going to have to like reload somehow. You, well, it's not the session that's getting inspired; the page gets. It, I'm, I'm using session in a non-specific way. Yeah, okay. it's it's just that they're. You're messing up their experience, their experience on that page. Right. It's like it's just going to stop working. And it's because you know every time you invoke, I guess a, a call to that Salesforce checks to see if I think it either invalidates the 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 view state or it's it's checking to make sure that the version of that f- class mm-hmm. file because every time you deploy an Apex class, it increments some version that we can't even see. Right. And or it just knows there's it gets some kind of hash or something and we can't see that but it's always checking to make sure that you're calling a method on the same instance or yeah basically the same instance of that not the same instance necessarily but 
it's it, that it's it's the exact same class that you initially right. loaded. Like, I've how seen do, how some, do you deal I've, with this in Salesforce? I've seen some errors that that specifically say that you know the version has changed. Specifically, when you change pages, right? When you right, right, and that's and that's so I guess that's a pain. But at least they can hit back or reload. But what about right. when they're on? A, I was because the situation I'm in, they're on a long running. This is a page they can sit there and they can stay on this page for a, a good amount of time, thirty minutes, an hour, doing I mean, stuff on this page. That kind of stuff you have to schedule to off peak times, I think. Okay. <laughs> I mean, what else can you do? Well, this is an international side. There's no such thing as an off-peak time. And also, what well, if there's it, always an off-peak time. <laughs> even even some websites, a Facebook and, and are you, or Twitter so, but, or something, but, but, will, will have a small window where they have to do some breaking change to the system. But are you also telling me? Well, for example, like Etsy deploys hundreds of times per day. How are you just telling me to just don't deploy very often? Is that what you're telling me? Also, not only does it have to be at a non-peak time if I can find a non-peak time, but it it. I guess you're saying I can't, I shouldn't deploy very often either. I don't see, well, see, some big sites, they have, um, they have regional servers where they deploy their apps to. So even though they're deploying something, they have control over how it gets deployed. So they might deploy to cluster one and then deploy to cluster two, and that could be in this region. So they, they have some control. So that might, that might be why, one of the reasons why they can do stuff or they do that stuff and it's not as impactful. Yeah. Is they're able to work with that local areas off peak times. But also, region. I mean, if you listen to, I mean, this is kind of a standard thing, but I've heard many like, you know, Netflix talks and things on this. When they come, when they do deploy a new version of like, say, um, a REST API that some of their, some of their interfaces use, that actually gets deployed to a different end, to a different endpoint. So any existing session is still referring to the previous endpoint and they'll leave that previous endpoint out up for a while. Yeah. So that all those sessions can, you know, can end just organically. Yeah. But this is just one of those, you know, things. That- you can't do this with Salesforce. <laughs> but, that's a, that's actually a, this project I'm on right now. We're we're making frequent, we're doing frequent deployments, and that's that's become a problem. And we're having to sit, we're having to step back and say, okay, maybe we don't deploy very often, which seems really weird because you're supposed to be agile and all that, you know. Um, well, I mean, I would add that to, since you're going to Trailhead X or whatever, Trailhead-X. I think you should start making a list, and we should we should all participate in the list of things that Jeremy needs to find out while he's at Trailhead X. And I think that's one of them. Should I should I walk in there and like unroll my <laughs> your scroll <laughs> on the stage? Yes, yeah. <laughs> but I think so. I think you should start making a list, and I think we should all vote on the, the maybe the top five things that you have to figure out while you're at Trailhead X. Speaking of Trailhead X, still no word on my registration. I signed up like a month ago. Really? Yeah, and I and I, I clicked the thing that said you know I, I want to go as a a. a whatever press or whatever mm. um, since you know since we do a, a show and we cover Salesforce uh, mainly because I I um, well if number one you get good seats uh, <laughs> but also they, they comp your ticket you know and that'd be great because I'm going on my own dime and 500 bucks is a big deal to me yeah I'm, I'm already gonna have to spend you know I don't know between hotel and flight probably a thousand bucks so and that doesn't count meals and voluminous amounts of alcoholic beverages so <laughs> So, you know, if they can comp my $500 ticket, that'd be great. Um, But the worst thing is, like, what happened? Okay, so I assume by now, probably early bird is over. And so it's probably, you know, it's gone up or someone's going to go up. And what if I don't get my, what if they say no, but they they don't tell me no until after early bird's gone? I mean, it's just, I don't know. You might be able to say, hey, I I registered this. You guys denied me. Can I at least get early bird? You can see when I tried to start this. Yeah. Is there, I mean, find find a contact link on that page, though. Is well, someone, but last time we did that, someone contacted us, right? They, I mean, we were, we went back and forth. I thought with them on when we got accepted or when we didn't. When we did get accepted. Oh no, I just got we just got one response. It's like, oh, you got accepted. There you go. You're good. 
Oh. Why would we have contacted them at that point? No, I thought I had, I thought they contacted us and I had to provide them a little more information. They did when they, to do a little interview to, to, to for them to assess our, yeah. our application. I, but I haven't even been contacted about that. So I'm assuming uh, this is not going to happen. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, so I don't, yeah, I don't want to end up in a thousand bucks. I didn't want to pay 500 bucks, especially if I'm going to cover it for the show. It's like, you know, I don't know. Well, if you cover it for the show, I'll get half because that, that's our deal. Half and half for the show. <laughs> Since I can't go. Anyway, hopefully, hopefully uh, we'll get accepted. All right, well, let's get to your, your things. Oh, finally, I get to talk. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Well, you brought up Trailhead, not me. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I think I'm... Do you really want to get into the class interface structure and all that kind of stuff? Because I kind of feel like we kind of talked a little bit about that. It's, And I'm sensitive to time, so I don't know if you want to get to some other stuff. Here's a throwaway for you. Okay. Since I'm going to nix that. I didn't really give you a chance to respond, but uh, Salesforce documentation not indexed on Google, and that turns out to be a big deal for me. I I always do string me- or Salesforce string methods or Salesforce date methods. I don't have these memorized, and right. and Salesforce has such a weird subset that my memory of what a string, the methods that are on a string class or the methods that are on a date class, are are specific and they're 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 kind of universal to things like Java and C sharp. But when you get in the v, the, the the Salesforce world, that's different because it's all a subset of it. You know, some of the implementations are there, some of it are not. Uh, SQL right. is another thing that I query all the time because I, I'm, t- I'm like, well, it's SQL, no, I can't do that. This is SQL, not SQL. And so I'm always, I don't have it all memorized. Yeah. I just can't. And there's, you know, there's all these weird rules on SQL, like you can't do an anti-join and an or clause. And it's like, well, and then I'm like, oh, what the hell is an anti-join? I already forgot a semi-join. Where do these terms come from? <laughs> <laughs> some, some dude's just sitting around making them up. So but yeah, the, the, the weird uh, cross-section of like, Features that that become limitations. Like I have to, I have to look those up. All well, the time I, too. I, you know, between I, I guess Java JavaScript's less of an issue because it's not really very much typing or or methods. Well, I guess there's it's growing. It's Ooh, growing. JavaScript has types. They're just it's they're, it's just dynamically typed. Yeah. <clears throat> I just mean well, yeah. No, I, I I can't even say that. There's there's a lot of types. In fact, I had to look out a bunch of them today because I was working with arrays and I. Didn't want I I, I noticed I, I was using jQuery as a crutch. Like I'd be like, oh, I need to see if this is an array and, and pull this out and merge these array. Oh, I better go get jQuery and load it up. I'm like, God, I gotta get out of that. I gotta stop doing that. I have like such a crutch with jQuery. I mean, unless you can't support. That I forget. I can code stuff too. Yeah, because I think it was was it Java, Java one was it or JavaScript one point five added a lot of array. Methods. Yeah, we have is array. We have you know ind- or index of if it's in the array, so you can test if it is an array, and then you can test whether it's in the array with index of and all that kind of stuff and. You know, I just, I, you know, when it's so easy with jQuery and I just do it. <laughs> yeah. <I laughs> or even that. loops. I, I, I yeah. forget, you know, I could do a for loop. For each. It, it's it's more performant than each and, you know, just depending on the scenario you're talking well, about. And also there's so many ways to loop through an array incorrectly in JavaScript. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here's another one. Is empty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to write a little is empty function that tested for it. Null, undefined, and length. Mm. So Crazy. Anyways. But yeah, so the documentation not being indexed, I found out it, you don't know how much you need something until it's gone, I guess, or how much you well, want something until it's gone or yeah. love something until it's gone. So what, I mean, what happened? Do we know what happened? Did they, did they add, uh, what is it, the no, uh, it's not no follow, what is it, just the, the robots file that says, do not index any of our stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, or did they get banned from the from Google's index for some reason? Oh, we got to get all conspiracy theories. Maybe they were this. spamming the search engines. 
<laughs> they were up. They had up their SEO game too much. They did trying too hard. Yeah, I, I didn't ever see why. But I, you know, I, I'm old school. I download all the PDFs. I'm like, I'm a PDF guy. I'm not. So I think there was a response on the uh, Stack Exchange where where people were kind of reporting this. Uh, so on the 26th, Salesforce says they requested a re-index of the docs pages from Go- from the Go- from Google from the Google from, the from Google from the Googles. Uh, and then on yesterday, they did another update saying we can't confirm the status of the re-index. Um, although credible sources inform us that it is likely complete. Unfortunately, we're still seeing pages being dropped from Google's index. Uh, our current recommendation is to use an alternative search engine. Wow. So they're saying that it's, Google, it's Google's fault. <laughs> Google. <laughs> to find the documentation you're looking for. As mentioned in the question, duck.go seems to have a good index of our content, and as does Bing. Yeah. Oh, we're back on the Microsoft train. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of an issue. That's a thing that's out there. Yeah. It is It is useful to uh, to search, because a lot of times I'll want to send someone a reference to like the you know the for each method or what some method right in, in Apex yeah and also what I in that case I will go and I'll Google you know Apex for each or whatever that I'm looking for and then I'll copy that link and send it to someone I'm like oh this is what you need because I can't do that with my PDF that's the downside to my old yeah. school PDF technique <laughs> is this is this this is a warning we should take this as a warning well how dependent we've become on Google on a well, single source for information they could take down Good Day Sir podcast by not indexing our stuff. Where no one would know about yeah, us. Yeah, we're, we're locked in. You should avoid lock-in. You should avoid, you should. A, you should avoid a monoculture. I, I should start using DuckDuckGo and Bing just, just to use it, yeah. just to give them some traffic, just to make sure that we're not dependent. We need, a, we need a, a central uh, search tool that searches all of them at the same time. I'm sure that exists. I need to find one. Yeah. Someone recommend one. There's got to be one that exists. I'm sure there Someone are. has, has yeah. had this thought and said, that's, that's not right. Let's, let's index everything or let's search everything. Yeah, a Chrome plugin probably. Uh, so Shannon Hale did a Reddit AMA. Oh yeah, yes, uh, yesterday. Did yeah. you read any of that? I read it and I participated. You have a link to that? I it's in the, oh, it's in the Salesforce. Let me see if I can find it. Um, do you want to? She, link? Um, I, I met her at Dreamforce once, and uh, but I think she would, had already. Well, you had known her from a previous kind of relate a previous life, um, right? Uh, I knew of her. I, I think I've interacted with her a few times, but never in person. So that time I met her was the first time in person. Right. Okay. <clears throat> but no, I think she'd already gone to Squid. So she's been to Squid for a couple of years. So what she's saying, she's saying, you know. Well, that time we met her was the time she was leaving for Squid. Or I think she just started with Squid at that at that point in time. I like this one. Let's be honest. Salesforce started as a piece of crap with great marketing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, you know, uh, this, and there, I don't know what uh, people are, because she says she's, you know, what, what do they call them? The world's first, no code user. This, sound, this sounds like, you can tell they grew up in the Salesforce ecosystem. They use the same, same <laughs> stuff. World's number one customer success intelligent platform. Just these meaningless, uh, whatever they are. Um, let's see. What well, else so so Shannon Hale uh, apparently was product manager over the, uh, the what is it? The, oh, what's that noise? That would be a fire truck of some sort. Yeah, hopefully it's not. That's for okay. Us. It is a fire truck. What were you saying? Lost my train of thought. Okay. Well, oh, she was the product manager for the uh, uh, the 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 tool that lets you build objects. What is that called? Oh, um, schema of something. Yeah, the schema builder. I think. I think it was the schema builder. Um, so, anyways, she, she was part of that team. That oh, we have more beer. Yeah. Florida room. And this one's from Hoof Hearted. Dry hopped Pilsner. Smells from Hoof Farted. Hoof, no. (laughs) (laughs) 
Hoof-hearted. Hoof-hearted. I thought I was going to enunciate and not say it wrong, but I still said it wrong anyways. <laughs> you tried too hard. I tried too hard. Hoof. Hoof. I, th- I think because hoof-farted is, is a regular uh, thing in my house. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually the dog. Not a fan of this one. No? I didn't pour that right, so it's got a lot of head. I'll have to let that settle. Um, so anyway, so anyways, so I th- a lot of people were asking her about, you know, the tooling and, you know, what does it mean to be low code? And and I kind of chimed in with one of my questions about uh, one of them was about kind of the the component system, the theming system. The other one was was more about um, the low code versus coding. And she didn't really answer my question all that well in terms of, you know, what I see in terms of how they advertise and promote these products is purely low code, almost zero code and basically saying you don't need a developer. Screw those guys. Yeah. Um, but 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 in terms of squid, more so than Salesforce historically, and I'm using these terms loosely, Squid had more hooks built into their components, into their uh, UI elements that I could actually go in and start manipulating things. So even if it didn't do something I wanted, I had some way of, of injecting my JavaScript in there and getting it to do it in a somewhat supported way. You know, not a hack where I'm like just loading a script and doing a bunch of DOM manipulation yeah. after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, you know, real hooks. And that's what I liked about it as opposed to Salesforce. And I'm hoping Salesforce and, and Lex goes that route where they start providing more hooks. We, we had this event system, but I'm finding the event system okay, but it feels like it feels like old school development where you're always responding to events and, and you're having to do these listeners. And then I'm hearing things like, don't, don't do too many events because you're clogging up the system. So yeah, now, now there's like new information coming back for, for those of us that are getting into it about best practices and not using so many events. And I'm like, oh, shit. Because usually with, when events fire, you know, they have to bubble up. Yeah. With all the thing, and then they bubble all the way back down, and it's like, yeah, they. It's almost it's like worse than throwing an exception. <laughs> yeah, so so it's a crazy time in the world of performance and trying to trying to get things to work and, and perform. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm torn by you know what makes a good hook and and how should that be used and and all that kind of stuff. So, but she made an interesting point about she described tools better in a way that spoke to me as a developer than marketing, and and I guess because I'm not the one spending the money. But she saw a lot of these these declarative tools as um, fast developer tools. I think was the term she used. You know these these are these are tools that are more sophisticated that really are meant for someone who's a little more advanced, a- including developers. You know, so that you can go in and just kind of point your click your way into creating the data table that you want, and then you can start coding instead of having to go through the point and click wizard one by one. Yeah. So she's kind of envisioning these things in terms of you know, how these low-code tools and the developers work in that she's providing tools that help them do things faster, not necessarily try to replace them, but kind of replace the more mundane, tedious tasks with something that's more faster. And so from from that perspective, that kind of spoke to me versus low-code, you don't need a damn developer. And I don't, yeah, and none of these people that are that are hawking these no-code, low-code tools, they, they tr- they, they're very careful not to, you know, disparage developers. Um, I'm talking, right. okay, let's put the, let's and in fact, the, what about Salesforce marketing? I don't think they do. You don't think they slight the developers? Go to Dreamforce and, and, and look at the keynotes and how many keynotes uh, sing the praises of develop, uh, coders, we'll say, because I can't just, use the term developers because they call everyone a developer. No, they, I should say they, they just read, they redefine trying, developer for their own purposes. And I know when I say this, I'm probably coming off as like some kind of elitist snob that says developers here are way up here and, and non-developers are way down here. But what I'm saying is there's a difference in the skill set. And when you change and muddy that word, 
you're basically saying that that my skill set is equivalent to the declarative skill set, and it's not. Yeah, I mean, words have meaning and meaning, and we have we have vocabulary for a reason. And when you start to say, well, we don't, you know, for our own corporate benefit, uh, we want to read, we want to change kind of what this word means because it'll it'll it's better for our business. So right. all you, how many people do they say are in their ecosystem? <laughs> there's three million developers, though, right? <laughs> You know, we're going to, yeah, you all deal with this. But somebody somebody in this, I was just looking at this Reddit. Uh, someone's like, hey, um, I have a rather unpopular opinion, and that's that uh, software development is a super inefficient process where laborers manually enter data into a system one single keystroke at a time. <clears throat> and then he goes, or this person goes into more, but I'll just leave it at that. But someone replied, and I really like this. And this person says, as a developer, I would say that 70% of my job is brainstorming, piecing together tools and API capabilities, negotiating requirements with product owners, sitting with users to understand their challenges, and working around platform limitations, etc. You only see the output, which is a bunch of keystrokes. Right. The code is just a vessel. And he says, I'd be ecstatic if declarative tools meant I never had to type another semicolon again. But humans want progressively complex things. So un- until we have access to general purpose AI, you need a knowledge worker with contextual knowledge around whatever system you're trying to build. I feel the same way. I mean, I feel like, you know, I don't know, t- maybe 20% of my job is, is actual coding. I mean, it's, a lot of it's just, it's, it's again, like you said, it's communicating. I mean, I, I think the most important job a developer has is, is actually communicating. That's If you're going to sharpen one skill, start with that one. Yeah. Um, because what you realize, if you once you've built a number of you know, non-trivial systems, is that when things go wrong or when things don't end up exactly right, you can almost trace them back to human problems, uh, communication problems, process problems. Yeah. It's not that, you know, SQL wasn't good enough or that, you know, Azure was too slow or anything like that. It's that we just didn't communicate right. We, You thought one thing, I thought another, and we didn't, we, we obviously were not completely on the same page and we also didn't have a process that Ferreted those inconsistencies out. Yeah, that brought those to, to the <clears throat> surface. But there's and but also there's an aspect of just kind of brainstorming with someone else or sharing ideas or or just you know asking questions and getting input. T- today was a good example of that. You know, I had some questions about some interfaces that I was trying to build, and you thought of something I didn't think of, which was I didn't I I could have abstracted one level further to make my to make things better. But see, that, that was I all about code, of. though, and that's back to people criticize. You know, anytime they see code, they get all, you know, they get but all that their anxiety goes up. Yeah, but that wasn't code. That was that was me trying to figure out how best to organize things, how best to structure and architect this. I hadn't typed anything in the keyboard yet. Yeah, the thing in general, I mean, some of these low code things are are pretty cool. I mean, they've definitely gotten a lot better. Um, in fact, I mean, I think there's examples. I mean, and, and, and you know, Salesforce is, is a, you know, is is a pretty good one. Pretty, you know, I mean, pretty impressive. There are. There are certain areas, though, of, of low-code systems where the, I think other systems by far have Salesforce speed in, in certain certain aspects. Um, I'm not saying that overall they're a better solution than Salesforce. It's just you know certain things. But the thing that you know you have to watch out for, I think, with these low-code platforms is that do you, do you hit a wall where you're like, okay, you know, we thought low-code was great because we didn't have to you know have really experienced software engineers. Mm-hmm. And we were able to build the things we wanted to build now, but our business has changed and we, we're growing up and we want to build all this other stuff, but we were kind of, we've kind of, you know, co- no-coded ourselves into a corner here. Right. Where it, the system will not scale. It won't do what you want or the way that you, you can do it, but it's such a, it's such a uh, ridiculous 
you know, solution given that the tools that you that the system the system gives you, right? That it makes no sense. I mean, we might as well start over. Yeah, having software engineers code, you know, a new system. Yeah, and that was interesting because um, that that reminded me of something that that Shannon said in the AMA uh, responding to someone's questions. She said, uh, "When I was at Salesforce, and, and this is pertaining to you know low code declarative tools and coding, and, and once you reach the limit of the of the of the tooling." And she says, when, when I was at Salesforce, we called this the cliff. So you call it the wall. They call it the cliff. Yes. They, people actually call it like the apex cliff. Yeah. Like, you know, all of a sudden you have to do apex. And so she says, declarative users would hit a cliff and they, would, they couldn't go any further without code. And below that cliff was a roiling ocean of, ocean of code. That's, that's not a bad metaphor analogy. I think it is a bad metaphor. It's, it's, a, that's, it's the glass half empty metaphor. The glass half full metaphor is you hit, you hit a wall but it turns out that someone has installed all the all those little hooks that you use when you go to when you can you know when you do not when you rock climb, and as long as you've got the right equipment and you've got the right training, you can climb that wall. Well, right? yeah, but I, I I think this isn't a cliff of death. This is a wall. <laughs> this is a wall of achievement and capability. No, it's, I, it's a way to get higher. See, I don't think that. I think people see walls and and they they think you know what I can find a way around that wall. I can find a way over that wall. A cliff, however, when you're at the edge of a cliff, you have all this anxiety. You have all this fear. You have this fear of the unknown. Am I going to be able to, how high is this cliff? If I jump, will I land in the water and still survive or will I just die? You know, I, I think the cliff is a much better metaphor because the 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 the, the gap of the skill set between someone who's only knows declarative tooling and point and click and someone who can write code, I see that as, as a huge gap. And someone trying to jump from one to the other is is a very scary, scary prospect. Well, you, it, it, Okay, it is a gap, but it's you, and you don't jump from one side to the other. That that's that's the problem. Well, and, you, and you don't jump. That. You don't jump from being someone who two years ago was a assistant salesperson who then became a Salesforce admin and now thinks you know is complaining because the, the, you know building systems requires a software engineer. I mean, I'm sorry, but when you get to certain levels of complexity, you have to you have more advanced tools. I mean, I'm not going to go build a house tomorrow. I could I might be able to build a dog house, you know. Feel sorry for your dog. <laughs> but I don't see it as a, a cliff. A cliff is just something you have no choice but just to, to commit suicide. You're you're gone. This no, is, I mean you either sit at the edge of the cliff and don't move forward or you but what I'm you saying find is someone who you're, can build you're looking you. at that and your brain's telling you you're seeing a you're seeing a cliff. What I'm telling you is your brain's telling you the wrong thing. You're not seeing a cliff. What, what, what you're, what's actually in front of you is a wall that requires skill to climb and to achieve. And you may I, need, you may not be the right person to do that. Maybe you need someone else on your team. Maybe you need to find a partner that can get, that can scale that wall and get the flag that's at the top or the beer, whatever it may be, whatever you're trying to get. Isn't a cliff an upside down wall? Anyways, it depends on where, <laughs> depends on which direction gravity happens to be pulling you at the moment. <laughs> I mean, if you're at the bottom of the cliff, the cliff is the wall. That's true. Every cliff is a wall. Boom. That's the lesson for today. Hey, next time you hit that that cliff, you just turn that cliff upside down. You got a wall. And then you can work your way around the wall, right? No, no, no. Surely there were some titles in there, John. Surely. Who knows? Um, yeah, that, that was pretty interesting. I'm glad you did that. I mean, there were... You know, were yeah, I would say for the Salesforce Reddit, a good, a good number of... Uh, do you, do you think Salesforce is an overpriced scam? Serious question. What do you expect her to say? She said, I don't actually. I mean, she's been making money off the Salesforce, either directly or off the Salesforce ecosystem for a large amount of her career. I don't think yeah. she's going to think it's a scam. Oh, that's funny. There's, um... <laughs> I, I, it, it, Reddit, 
I don't know. I guess I wanted to fast fire questions and Reddit doesn't let you do that. You have to, really? you have to post a question, then you have to wait and then you can post another question. Like it like tells you, oh, you're doing that too many times. Stop it. But the other thing I found out is I think I deleted my old Reddit account. I think they had some kind of um, security breach and I wasn't using it at the time. So I just said, I'll just delete the account. Yeah. And so this, this was the first time I'd been back to Reddit and wanted to interact with things and had to create a new account. So yeah. my point systems is really low. <clears throat> All right, John. Let's see if I have anything else here. There was a Red Monk had a thing, an article talking about just how, uh, how many developers are there, <clears throat> and they say that, like in the world, for example, GitHub thinks there's like 20, min, 20 million developers. Evans Data thinks there's twenty one. Uh, Data USA says in the United, if you just look at the United States only, there are one point two million developers. And these numbers, I one point two million developers. Mm-hmm, yeah. And these numbers, they, but is this by? How did they get that? Is that by job title, self-proclaimed? Um, it's actually kind of complex. Um, but if you look at like Evans and Data USA and Stack Overflow numbers and whatever, and even things like uh, like NPM has done all kinds of analysis. I mean, these numbers generally agree. I mean, I would say well within an, you know an order of magnitude for sure. Okay, um, but yeah, it's, inter- it's interesting that there are 1.2 million de- developers in the states, yet three million of them are uh, are Salesforce developers. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're talking three million worldwide, Jeremy. Uh, Three, yeah, you know, U.S. is not the only country in the world. Do we, this, this, it, it's, it's not. It's not. But look at where Salesforce's numbers are. You know, eighty percent of their business is in the United States. So, so, yeah, but, so you're saying what? But, two point six million? Or no, two, I'm just saying we outsource. We outsource a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out they're all in Russia and India. Yeah, there you go. Um, anyway, that's all. Oh, you know what? I wanted to ask you a question. I I was listening to some podcast and they were talking about some tool called Clamor. Have you heard of this? And I thought this would be a way for a. Uh, People to, to uh, spread the word of the Good Day Sir podcast. No. C-L-A-M-M-R. It's like you can, I, I, I think they were talking about this for podcasts. You can t- you can make like clips, you can share clips of a podcast with people. And I have no idea how it works, but I, I just want to ask if you'd heard of it. No. It's spelled what? C-L-A-M-M-R. Oh, M-M-R. Yeah, no, I've never heard of this. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's. It looks like it's not meant for podcasts. I don't know if you can. Like it's just optional. Like you can use it with a podcast. I don't know. We'll look into it. But then I thought, well, you know, the limit is twenty four seconds. I'm like, I mean, half of my sentences take longer than twenty four seconds. I don't know how. You, I don't think you could share a meaningful clip of this of this show. Twenty four seconds, thirty seconds. I mean, that's less than thirty seconds. Yeah, I don't know. That's not very much. Time. It's like the Twitter of audio. I know it is. It's like for I'll have to start speaking in abbreviations. But yeah, I mean, that's that's <laughs> the downside. At least with Twitter, you can abbreviate, and you got this whole new language. I mean, we're gonna have to come up with a whole new language for this. Yeah. Just speaking. Uh, do we want to? Um, there you do, go. Do we, we even want to get into the? So we had several people that have chimed in, either in the Slack or via email. In response to the negative review that we talked about, was it last week we talked about that? It was last week, right? It was last week, yeah. So, I mean, did you want to talk about that? Anything come out of that? I mean, some people had some really nice things to say about us, which was very, I would say, heartwarming and flattering. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, but I don't, and I don't know if we need to go into that. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to indulge in you know in flattery. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could just read our newest review. We have an actual review, or is this the email? This is the email. Well, so, so he, yeah, you didn't, let me, you, you, didn't, you didn't let me get into this, yeah. but because this person, I don't know if I, uh, because this person uses Pocket Pocket Cast and didn't have a way to write a review, uh, just sent us a review. So that works too. Yeah, I guess review wherever you can. If it's Facebook, if it's 
Twitter, if it's <laughs> uh, our info at gooddaysirpodcast.com, yeah, we appreciate it. Any kind of feedback. We can we can use his, if you look at the bottom, he says, feel free to quote me at your own risk. Oh, so. well, this is Dr. Nick. Yep. We've talked about him today already. We call this a Dr. Nick show. Uh, I, li- I listen. This, this is the po- this is the uh, review. I listen to you guys on Pocket Cast, which has no review service, but do recommend you on Twitter, Reddit, meetups, etc. Well, thank you for that. Really appreciate it. The last review pissed me off. Not due to the content. Sure, some people may not like the format, but it made you guys doubt your format or question your integrity or contribution to the community. The Slack and the podcast is the first time I've actually felt a member of a community. Uh, community, a safe haven. A safe. Heaven, I think Haven, yeah. for people trying to survive in a capitalist dream world of smart toothbrushes and airbrush clients. Should be man baby toothbrushes. <laughs> uh, it goes on to say, John, you're awesome and often the voice of reason to relate to. Jeremy, you make me, it says my, but I think he meant me. Jeremy, you make me question my skills as a beer drinker and a developer every cast. And he says, from one drink to another, and then we got a picture of a meme that says, I pure straight up hate you. God damn it, do I respect you. <laughs> yeah. Don't go changing. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Nick. That was very nice. And it's funny. Yeah, that meeting was hilarious. I love that. So, yeah, and and it was just good to see that a lot of people did not um, agree. And I think one thing that also some people that I talked to really pushed back on was um, really the point that the, the, the reviewer made about how we were uh, denigrating, or I can't remember the exact words, were, but the, the community, was, the community. Yeah. And... A lot of there was a lot of pushback on that, and, and, and that, that was the one part that got to me the most, yep. I think. But I'm a big boy; I should be able to handle that, right? Yeah, I mean that's why we read it, and, and like I said, I mean I appreciated that they took the time to write it, and they they still listen. It's just you know I, I don't know. I wish everybody liked me, but you know they're not going to. So what <laughs> I can't do anything about it. It's just is what it is. I'm not gonna. I can't. I can't really change who I am, and I don't, I don't like you sometimes. But, <laughs> but there's also you know I mean. I don't know. I think we kind of do the show that we wanted to do, that we want to do. I think we do. You know, I mean, I'm not saying we don't ever cross a line. You know, pull a, uh, what was the Kathy, what's her name that uh, got fired from CNN? The, the comic that held up the, the bloody Trump head. Um, you know, I, I heard of that, but I never got to see what that was really fine. about. What's her name? Kathy? Uh, Kathy Griffin, I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't want to cross a line that bad, but uh, I know. I don't know. Anytime you're a little bit edgy or, or you're going out there to make a point, you know, sometimes you can... Yeah, sometimes that, that you walk that line and sometimes yes. you slip a bit. Right. And that's okay. Uh, I'll take that risk. All right, John. Let's get into this meeting thing before we finish up. Well, do you want to do this or do you want to say this for next time? I don't even know what this is. Um, so, okay, it says we can use a name. Sorry. I really should beforehand figure out who can use what. Yeah. Uh, so, this is from Daniel Barkley. Um, so he's the one that proposed that we do some kind of talk series. So so he's making a suggestion that we talk about, um, I, I think because our last conversation on on how we like to interact on projects, you know, what roles we like to play and, you know, where we see ourselves fitting best and, you know, all that kind of stuff, the strategy of project management, I right. guess. Um, so he thought it would be a really good series for us to kind of cover, you know, maybe parts of that in each episode of projects. You know, from start to finish, you know, the starting of a project, you know, how do you get set up, the discovery, all that kind of stuff. You know, the middle of, you know, working with clients, communicating, um, building, you know, agile stuff. And then, of course, the ending. How do you close down the project? You know, what do you do? And, you know, how do you, you know, is there documentation? Is there training? Is there, you know, what's the handoff look like? Um, so I don't know. What do you think about that idea? 
I mean, I guess if we have, if we think we have enough content for a series, or if we can even string together enough, you know, coherent thoughts to to last for a series, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. Maybe because well, we kind of talked about this at lunch, not not because of this, but just in general, is that um, because we talked about the kind of experience and how some people get into consulting, they come from say a company, and all of a sudden they join the consulting world, and they're kind of thrown into it, and some people get some really great mentorship. And they learn that skill really well because they have that mentor. And for some people, it takes them a lot longer because they don't have that mentor. So they're basically just trial and error their way through until they start to develop some kind of style or rhythm within within consulting. And sometimes they end up with good habits and sometimes they end up with really bad habits. Right. Um, and so, I, you know, I mean, you and I have kind of been living in the consulting world off and on for 10 years, something like that. So I, I don't know. I think we have some some Maybe. experience to share. I mean, I've, I've, I can think of other podcasts that have done series that were like, they took, they'd either take, oh, let's say, um, uh, oh, every, so you, you know this idea of a 12-factor app. It's basically the idea of a, of a, a who published that? Netflix, I think. They're, they were like, basically, if you want to build cloud-native applications, here are, you know, 12 attributes that, and they took each one, they discussed like three of them on each one, or they'll take like, the solid principles and talk about each different solid principle or the, you know, these like basically things that are like lists mm-hmm. and they'll turn that into a series. And I, they're okay. They get really drug out because I feel like too often people don't have enough valuable stuff to say about them. And that's what I worry about. I mean, yeah, I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to make Every time we sit down to record, I feel like I don't have anything valuable to say. So <laughs> I, well, I, I don't, I don't think it should be a, a full show topic. I think it should just be a topic that's on the agenda. It, it maybe so. I, 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 I think a, you're right. I think if we try to make it a full show, we might take something and, and just, just ex- exposition it to death till it's boring. Let's flesh it out, John. <clears throat> All right, let's flesh it out. Um, so this also came with a stealthy review, I think. Um, so Daniel says, also really wish I could review on Google Play Store. I guess Google Play Store doesn't have a review system. Um, I will say I listen to every episode as soon as it comes out, and some are better than others, but that's what reminds me of my friends and, and makes this really approachable. Bad jokes, silly times, serious times, starting a random Slack community. It all makes the show and, and hell the the show and the real community nature of GDS. Yeah, I mean, we're just we're on we're on this ride, this trip, and we don't know where we're going really. But you know, we're take we're taking whoever wants to come along with us. You know, it's just a, it's a community. You know, I, just because you don't use, you're not in the Apple ecosystem, doesn't mean right that you can't, you know, fire up someone's iTunes and leave or your you know get iTunes and leave a review. Um, you can go to the Apple Store and. Turn on one of the iMacs and I just... I think you have to be log... I think you have to log into iTunes. Maybe they're logged in already. They could be. <laughs> All right. Well, are, we cl- are we wrapping up? We're wrapping up. Okay. Speaking of reviews, reviews are great. We love reviews. I know that you can do them on iTunes. Um, wherever else. I don't know where you can do them. Uh, Stitcher, you can do reviews, right? But we're not even on Stitcher, so forget that. Maybe we should get on Stitcher. I don't know. They're weird. Yeah. So, but yeah, share us on the socials. You know, tell your friends. Uh, we have this awesome Slack community. It's uh, It's got a lot of people in it now. And... Everyone's really nice and smart. And there are no, you know, we're we're all we behave ourselves, but we're we're also informative and helpful. I mean, I'm I'm amazed at the the helping. I mean, like Roger Mitchell, kind of, uh, he's one of these guys. Um, uh, the uh, Chuck Liddell, you know, these guys are just mm-hmm. always jumping in, like helping people, like to a ridiculous degree. So it's always awesome to see that. And I help when I when I can when I when I have time or if I, if I see someone ask a, a question that I actually know the answer to. Uh, but yeah, you should join our Slack community, or at least check it out. You know, at least just get in there and, and lurk if you want to. That's fine too. Yeah, it's fun to be a lurker. So the way you do that is you go to gooddaysirpodcast.com and you click on community and just put your email address in and John will add you. 
Uh, yeah, and also Overcast. I know we have some Overcast users. I see you. I see you. <laughs> you can click the little thing. The heart. It's a, it's not a heart anymore, is it? It's a star now. It oh, is it a star? Yeah, I guess uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Marco is not feeling the love anymore. You got to change it from a heart to a star. Uh. Or uh, better yet, uh, send your questions and topics to us. Info at gooddayserpodcast.com. That's how you get questions into us or just give us, you know, you're going to give us some private feedback or just ask us to talk about something like Daniel did. Yeah. So anyway, we appreciate it. And just, of course, if you ever, if we ever say anything wrong or something you want to debate us on, you know, the Slack community is a great place to do that. The, all this interaction really helps. It makes me want to keep doing the podcast. And I feel like as long as people are enjoying this and they're, they're involved, then I want to keep doing it. Absolutely. And to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. It just happens automatically. It's from the cloud.